The Rocks to Roots podcast is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Speak Spokane, presented by Delicious Hamburgers. Speak Spokane is a community-driven studio space where voices from all walks of life can speak and be heard. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Speak Studios and Speak Spokane, and on their website at speakstudios.com. Speak Studios, speak and be heard. This is Rocks to Roots, a podcast presented by the Spokane Conservation District. This podcast series is intended to share education and resources related to land management, conservation practices, and celebrate some of the great stewards of our land here in our region. Hello, listeners, and thanks for listening to Rocks to Roots. If you haven't already, make sure and leave us some feedback in the reviews section. Reviews help our podcast reach more people, and we appreciate the feedback as well. Rocks to Roots is available on all major podcast platforms and on our website, rockstoroots.org. Today, we are joined by the Outreach Director, Cheryl Weiser, and the Statewide Education Project Manager, Erin Murphy, from Tilt Alliance. Hello, and thank you for joining us, ladies. Hello. Thanks so much for having us. Yes, I'm very excited to have both of you. And um, so I'm in downtown Spokane at the Speak Studios, and um, this is our first virtual interview that we are doing on the Rocks to Roots podcast. So where are each of you calling in from? I'm calling in from Seattle, Washington. Awesome. I'm also calling from Seattle, Washington. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I hope you guys are having just as much great weather over there on that side of the state as we are over here. It's a beautiful sunny day over here today. So, <laughs> um, so I want to give you both an opportunity just to um, introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about yourself and how long um, you've worked for Tilt. So Cheryl, um, I'll go ahead and let you start. So I'm Cheryl Weiser, and I uh, this is actually my second um, go around with Tilth. I was um, actually at Tilth in uh, starting at the end of 2015 to 2017, and previous to that, I had been with uh, Cascade Horfus Coalition, which had merged with Tilth, and so I returned uh, last year to uh, work on our USDA FMPP grant, and now I'm taking on some different roles for Tilth, including Eat Local First. Great. And what about you, Erin? Yeah. I, hi, everyone. I'm Erin Murphy. I'm the statewide education project manager at Tilth Alliance. I've been at Tilth for just shy of three years, um, and I work primarily on the Tilth Conference, the Firewalks program, which has recently been adapted into a podcast, and um, another of other projects that um, we offer at Tilth for uh Small and mid-scale farmers across Washington State. Wonderful. Yes, we have lots of exciting things to talk about today. Um, and we're going to be getting to that Farm Walks podcast in just a little bit. Um, but for those that may not know um, a lot about Tilt Alliance, can um, you give us an overview of the organization and some of the main goals and objectives? Sure. Uh, well, Tilt Alliance works in community with Washington farmers gardeners and eaters to build a sustainable, healthy, and equitable food future. We have four core programs, uh, including the farm program, which um, where Erin leads our statewide education efforts and outreach. Our other programs are centered more uh, in Seattle and King County, and they include our market program, which is about food access, um, a community education program, which is focused on growing healthy communities with classes, learning gardens, uh, senior nutrition, uh, and environmental programs like soil and water stewardship, our youth and families program, which is summer camps and after-school programs, teacher training, farm-to-table education, and our natural yard care program, 
which is really building that sustainable foundation. And through that, we have the Garden Hotline, uh, a master composter sustainability stewards training, uh, natural yard care classes, um, our edible plant sale, and uh, a lot of other things. So that's just a broad overview. Great. So lots and lots of great resources and programs going on for Tilt Alliance. And we're going to circle back to Tilt um, at the end of our um, interview. But I also just want to go ahead and jump right in. So Cheryl, you had mentioned the Eat Local First Collaborative. um, And I want to give you the opportunity to talk about this great resource um, and um, tell us a little bit about its emergence. Great. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here today connecting about this. Uh, The Eat Local First Collaborative is currently made up of different organizations from around the state, including Tilt Alliance, Sustainable Connections in Bellingham, the Local Food Trust, which is based on the Olympic Peninsula, Pierce County Fresh, WSU Food Systems uh, Program, and the WSU Regional Small Farms Program, which serves Clallam, Kitsap, and Jefferson County. So the goal of the collaborative is to make it easy for consumers to connect with local and regional food and farm businesses across the state. I think for many years, various organizations around the state have um, had individual, regional, and statewide food and farm directories and eat local programs. And we believe that a unified online platform is more efficient. It's saving farmers time and money on multiple redundant listings and saving regional organizations staff coordination and website costs. So in this kind of thinking, we formed to create a cohesive brand. The local collaborative was formed to create the brand Eat Local First and one online platform, which is the Washington Food and Farm Finder. And so we opted to use Sustainable Connections had their existing Eat Local First brand that they started in 2011 and adapt its Food Atlas program which uh, their platform that launched in 2017. Mm. And so the new Washington Food and Farm Finder was launched in November 2020. Um, So kind of going back a little bit, um, uh, when the pandemic hit last March, it was really, you know, kind of off to the races in terms of how quickly things shifted. The conversations broadened, you know, to involve WSU. At this point, it had been Tilt Alliance and Pierce County Fresh and um, the local food trust and WSU, the regional small farm team. And we moved very quickly from this what if to we're doing this. That happened very fast. And at the same time, we were also talking with other partner orgs around the state, including Link Foods, to get their input. But I think between the fierce urgency of consumer demand the collapse of institutional markets for many farm and local food businesses overnight, coupled to with this mutual desire to create something that could be utilized statewide to connect Washingtonians with local food. We had this core nucleus of folks and organizations that were really you know, ready and willing to take this on. So we had to lay a lot of groundwork pretty quickly. And um, so last summer we worked on the back and front ends of the site and um, you know that also included merging all the data from different lists. So um, because things did move so fast last year, broadening engagement with other partners from around the state is really top of mind for us this year. Um, but it's been a really amazing experience to watch this group coalesce. Um, we work our butts off, it's good. And we, I think that everybody in the collaborative really has this authentic core ethos that a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, because we believe that food sheds don't exist in isolation from one another. And there's a lot of strength and our capacity to balance one another. So having these collective efforts kind of leverage results that are otherwise unachievable. Wonderful. And so some quick thinking and lots of great collaboration has really Mm -hmm. turned into a one-stop shop for consumers Mm -hmm. and for producers as well, just Mm -hmm. as a great collaborative space. Um, So you mentioned um, kind of like a food atlas on the website. So can you kind of just take us through the website and just tell us Mm -hmm. about some of the Mm -hmm. features um, that users will notice when they're viewing the site? Sure. So it's called the Washington Food and Farm Finder. And so if you start really with the homepage, so eat local first 
is the platform and the Washington Food and Farm Finder is the tool that is a part of the brand and the platform. So if you start with the homepage, which is Eat Local First, the first thing that you'll see is a banner on the top, which will take you to our new CSA Finder tool. And I think we'll talk about that a little later. But the homepage has some different sections to explore, and that's kind of fun. So you can scroll down a little bit, and there are six sections, local food, farm stands, CSAs and farm shares, farmers markets, online orders, and eat and drink. So let's say because you're home and you're kind of going, hmm, what's online? If you select that, it brings up a map view and a list view of listings around the state, which have self-selected online ordering as an option. So this is generated by the data on the back end of the Washington Food and Farm Finder. So one cool new feature that we've just um, put together in the last month is that once you're in list view on the map, you'll see all those businesses come up with an orange order online button, which takes you directly to that business's website. Uh, I also really love what's been this revolving section on the homepage where we can highlight different kinds of businesses or experiences. So March is Women's History Month, and um, right now this section is focused on supporting women-owned farms and food businesses. So we have a section on the website under About, which is uh, where you can read up on our indicators for sustainability and diversity. And we have our own icon for Wonder Women. So that's the women who grow, raise, harvest, and make the food that sustains us, our families, and our communities. And so you can search the Washington Food and Farm Finder for women-owned farms and those food businesses near you. Um, we also have a really cool story page where we've begun posting content with a focus beyond um, some of the original content on the site from Northwest Washington. And, uh, you know, so now we even get, you know, we just get to tell more stories. So um, there's an event page too for folks to submit calendar listings about what's going on. So if you're in Spokane and you have a, an edible plant sale that's happening or the conservation district is launching something, this is a place for you to uh, create a listing. Then we have, if you tap into the Washington Food and Farm Finder, there are core categories, and that's farm, seafood, markets and grocers, locally made, eat and drink, and local resources. If people only knew how many hours have been spent working on the taxonomy of what gets listed and how it's organized, it's like seriously deep and wonky work, but it's really been, it's been fun. But I always suggest that folks, when they first get on the on the on the food finder, they really take some time exploring the categories. That way, you can really see how they've been organized. So, for example, under markets and grocers, that's where you'll find farmers markets, food co-ops, local food boxes, meal kits, online marketplaces, and food hubs like Link Foods, who has a listing. So then, within each category, there are features related to that sector. So for the markets and grocers, those features are things like curbside service, food access and nutrition programs, like who takes SNAP and EBT, home delivery, um, takeout pickup. So the features are different in each category. So right now we have about 1,700 listings and more folks are signing up every day, but there's a caveat. I wanna to say to folks in Spokane and area in Eastern Washington that you will probably notice that we don't have as many listings for you know this part of the map that there are in let's say Northwest Washington. That's because the Food Atlas started back in 2018 and they've had a couple of years on all of us in the rest of the state to populate that content which is user generated. So you know all the data that's been merged from collaborative members, you had WSU's Food and Farm Finder and Tilth Alliance's Farm Guide both which are statewide, and Hillary, we worked on the farm guide together, mm -hmm. which was great because those farms are now signed up on the Washington Food and Farm Finder. So our friends in Northwest Washington have a bit of a head start. So we really want to encourage wow. folks in Spokane to get listed so we can fill out that map. And, and that's also some of the feedback that we get. Yes, absolutely. I know we have tons of great farms mm -hmm. and it's not just farms, but you guys are also right. 
listing restaurants and markets and like you said, other food businesses on there. So yeah, Mm -hmm. Eastern Washington, Mm -hmm. let's, let's get on there. Let's do it. Show up. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So how can um, farmers and producers and other, um, you know, entities or businesses get listed on the Eat Local First website? And are there any costs associated with signing up? It's so easy to sign up. The URL is eatlocalfirst.org slash register, and there is no cost to sign up through 2021. And so I want to stress that through 2021 and when we launched and built this, our goal moving forward is that we don't want there to be a cost associated to farmers or to anyone to list. And even if there does have to be a cost moving forward, that it would be so nominal um, that it would be ridiculous because, you know, too many times, you know, these things can get built on the backs of producers and, and we don't want to do that. And so we really wanted to have everything be free through 2021 and we'll evaluate going into 2022 because nobody knows what the economy is going to look like. So, uh, again, it's really easy to sign up. Registration is intended for owners and operators of local farms, food businesses. That could be you could be a local caterer. You could be a restaurant. You could be, um, uh, you know, you could be a local producer of, you know, um, home and body products that are sourced using local lavender Um, or and also for local food system organizations in Washington state like the Spokane Conservation District. And once you've registered an account, you'll have the ability to add your locations and you can edit whenever you like. And so this is for farms. This is obviously for people that are more in the marine climate. It's for fisher uh, fishers as well. So we have a lot of fisheries that list and you'll see those in Clallam and Jefferson and, you know, up in Whatcom County. Um, it's also, we ask that food businesses are locally owned and operated and purchasing, um, you know, at least some of their uh, products from local producers in Washington state. And also that the nonprofit organizations or, you know, if they could be tourism based organizations are based in Washington state who's, you know, and have a mission to contribute to a sustainable food system. So that's just a little bit about registration. If folks have any questions, they can always reach out to info at eatlocalfirst.org. And I'm the person that comes to and I answer all kinds of questions every day. That's awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to give a shout out to all of our farmers over here in eastern Washington, our mm-hmm. South Spokane Farm Corridor members right now. I mean, what a great resource and what a great and free marketing tool um, mm-hmm. to promote your businesses. Um, and that's amazing that it's, um, you know, a free registration. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And I think just a thing about as a marketing tool, you know, um, you know, we launched, we're only about four months old. And, you know, we had this holiday campaign that drove consumers to the platform um, and the CSA campaign is driving more and different traffic. But since November, since November of 2020, we have almost 140,000 page views and close to 20,000 visitors from all over the state. And that's not just Seattle. Ashley spoke. There's quite a bit of um, site traffic from Spokane. And we also have some outside um, visitors, too, from California and Oregon. So for a company like Joseph's Granary, who has their amazing pancake product that can be ordered online, uh, hello, I think Seattle would really like to know about how they can order your great um, uh, you know, pancake mix. And I think they're in Colfax, Washington. Oh, wonderful. That's awesome. Um, Well, and you just touched on um, a campaign, but I know that you recently launched um, the Meet Your Farmer campaign to help consumers find CSA, which is Community Supported Agricultural Farms in Washington. Um, So can you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so it's our Meet Your CSA Farmer campaign. And, you know, because so many of See, our CSA farms in Washington state last year experienced unprecedented consumer demand. I mean, farm shares were selling out at a record pace. A lot of farms added to their subscriber base, expanded their season, had wait lists or pivoted in some fashion to accommodate all the shifts that were happening. Um, we knew even you know, last fall as we were working on the holiday campaign that the first quarter of 2021, we had to work on something to support 
CSAs and really wanting to educate consumers about the value of um, community-supported agriculture, the importance of having a deep relationship with your farmer, and um, that is really one of the most direct ways to support a local a local farm business, and also get your groceries at the same time. Mm-hmm. And also because consumer demand is expected to remain strong. We've heard that anecdotally again and again from farmers that we work with around the state. So we launched the Meet Your Farmer campaign on, on March 1st, and it's running through March 31st. And the main component is this new CSA finder tool to help consumers um, find those options near them. And so it's basically when you click on that tool, it allows you as the consumer to customize your search with multiple filters that include availability, content, season and distribution options like home delivery, neighborhood pickup and on-farm pickup. Uh, You can also view all the CSA farms. We have like 230 around the state without those filters right on the Washington Food and Farm Finder. But we do have a fair number of CSA farms from Spokane who are on the website, but we want to encourage them to go in and update their listings uh, because some of that information may be more current to last year. So that's another prompt for folks to um, you know get used to you know, to farms and producers using that on the on the back end. And so we also have a CSA FAQ. We have farmer interviews and curated stories on how to make the most of your CSA share. One of our farmers, Noah Kay, wrote two great stories on, okay, you've got kids, right? Also, you're really busy. What do you do when that CSA box comes? Like, how do you get the kids involved? How do you have them not turning up their nose at the zucchini or the beets? So, you know, really try to be thoughtful about putting together engaging content. Uh, so, um, and then we have our Enter to Win and our uh, our video series too. Yes. And so, um, yeah, I did hear that about this Enter to Win. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... And so consumers can actually win some money towards a CSA share. Um, so tell us a little bit about more about that, yeah. how people can enter, and what will they win? Right. So actually, to, to clarify, they will win $100 towards the CSA share of their choice. We'll go ahead and pay the farmer, the, whoever the winner is. Let's say you win, and you're like, great, I want my CSA to be this farm. We'll send that $100 directly to that farm. So we love doing Enter to Wins. This is our second one, and uh, we're really lucky to work with Link Foods again on this one. So all this is, if you go again to the homepage, eatlocalfirst.org, there's a banner at the top, and right there, there's a, it says, click here to Enter to Win for $100 towards a CSA share of choice. So it's a short survey about what you're looking for in a CSA and if our CSA finder is helping you or what you'd like to see improved. Um, We always are looking for feedback because we're not a static resource. And so um, everyone gets entered in the Enter to Win and uh, we also have a $100 gift certificate towards a link box from Link Foods. So we'll pick three winners and then a lucky Spokane area resident the Enter to Win ends on March 31st, and we'll pick the winners April 5th. There's a very long URL, which I think I sent to you, and maybe you'll put that up in the chat or something online so folks can find that. Um, but again, it's on the homepage at eatlocalfirst.org. Yes, we'll definitely be sharing that link. Um, Want to get as many Spokane residents to mm-hmm. enter into that Enter to Win to get that you know, link bot or money towards that link box for sure. Um, so again, the URL is eatlocalfirst.org and all of these great resources and more information is located there. Cheryl, why, why was it so important to have a resource like this in our region? That's such a great question. Uh, I think it goes back to what I was saying at the top is that for many years, various organizations around the state have had individual regional and statewide food and farm directories and eat local programs. And Mm -hmm. I think that most folks are unaware of the fact that Washington state is one of the few states in the country that does not have a statewide department of tourism. And so again, I think that to the creation of all these various food and farm finders and um, 
So, you know, an example of how that's different in other states is that New Jersey has Jersey Fresh, which is one of the oldest farm marketing programs in the country. It was founded in 1984. And it's actually funded and operated by their Department of Agriculture. So when you go into a farmer's market in New Jersey, you see all the point of sale branding. You see farmers that are wearing Jersey Fresh caps and, you know, aprons. You go into a Whole Foods. Um, and, uh, you know, I grew up in New Jersey. So when I would go visit my family, you go into a, any grocery store and you see all these point of sale, um, you know, branding pieces that would say Jersey Fresh. Um, for anything that was grown in the state of New Jersey. So I think having a resource like Eat Local First and the Washington Food and Farm Finder, it really is about that unified approach, which allows us to do a number of things. The first thing is it allows us to grow consumer demand for local food while reducing barriers to access. So through the in our individual accounts, the existing collaborative partners, we share a collective audience. When I say accounts, our social media accounts, we share a collective audience of more than 50,000 people on social media and 16,000 email subscribers. So we're building and strengthening a collective narrative with consumers, with media, civic and elected officials, and other key stakeholders on the importance of local food. That's a really critical thing because aligned communications are an opportunity or more sophisticated messaging on the importance of stewarding the food system and the resulting impact on the economy, environment, and community well-being. Um, so I think by updating their listing in one location, farm and food businesses can keep information current to multiple consumer and wholesale markets, consumer outreach campaigns, and geographic regions. I think the other sh shorter answers would be it helps new and seasoned farmers find new customers, frees up resources previously dedicated to efforts that similarly positioned organizations were duplicating. Um, I am really relieved not to do the farm guide anymore. It's an, It just really took up an, enorm, an enormous amount of resources. And so share, we, you know, we're sharing the development and management of technical tools. So that allows more time for partnership and relationship building and collaboration. Um, it allows us to pull resources, and so it's just that part is really important. It's also more attractive to sponsorship and advertising partners, grants and investors and other funding. So in turn, that allows us to share those benefits um, of those partnerships and leads to more equitable distribution of those resources around the state. So all of those play a role. It's not just about we launched a platform and now you know, it's a static piece. There's a whole community and economic um, and, you know, environmental, there are all of these different linkages to what having a really unified resource and platform like Eat Local First can provide and the collaborative as well, because there are three distinct pieces. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so much development and collaboration has happened. It seems like in such a kind of a short amount of time with this, um, at least just mm -hmm. over the past year. Um, so mm -hmm. what's on the horizon for Eat Local First? It's an extraordinary group of people. Um, I mean, it's been pretty great. And uh, I think really what's on the horizon is the first and foremost is to grow the reach of the Washington Food and Farm Finder and eatlocalfirst.org. And then, as I mentioned earlier, expanding the ELF Collaborative to include additional partners from both regional programs and, bro and broader agricultural support organizations. And then another piece is refining the collaborative's internal operating systems and then designing and building regional pages into Eat Local First because we do, that's, those are also part of ongoing conversations. You know, no one is seeking to, um, you know, modify or, or, you know, somehow usurp identity of, of local food sheds and their regions because those, sto that's, those stories and are really important. So, you know, um, we don't grow, we don't have a monolithic kind of food or farm culture here in Washington state. We're an agricultural powerhouse. So I think that's a really important distinction of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. 
Well, thank you so much, Cheryl. Um, I'm so glad that we got to talk about the Eat Local First. Like I said, it really is such a great one-stop shop for consumers to find local farms, restaurants, markets, and other food businesses. And then in addition to that, just for farmers, producers, and other business owners, um, what a great marketing tool as well. And so again, that website is eatlocalfirst.org. And then you, I know that you also have a Eat Local First Facebook and an Eat Local First Instagram. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. um, listeners, make sure that you go ahead and add those to your follow list and follow along to see um, what else Eat Local First will have in store coming down the road. Great. Thank you so much, Hillary. Thank you, Cheryl. So now I kind of want to just switch over to another great um, program that has come out of the Tilt Alliance. And Erin, um, I'm going to give you the opportunity to go ahead and talk to us about the Farm Walks podcast. So welcome and thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Hillary. Yeah. So go ahead and tell us about the Farm Walks podcast and how um, this idea all came about. Yeah. So before I dive into the podcast, I want to give just a little recap of the Farmox program, um, which was started in 2004. Um, and so it's been, you know, 17 years of this collaborative project between Tilt Alliance and WSU Food Systems Program. Um, back when it started, it was the WSU Small, Food, Small Farms Program, um, and that was spearheaded by Dr. Marcy Ostrom from WSU. Um, so it's been, you know, the Farmox program is this, you know, 17-year program that um, really is designed around farmer-to-farmer education. So um, a typical farm walk involves a tour of the host farm, a deep dive into one to two themes, and discussion of current research, research and resources related to those themes. So um, at the core of the Farmox program is really this farmer-to-farmer education where um, extension professionals and resource providers and uh, researchers are there to supplement the conversation, um, but really it's supposed to be farmers leading, you know, the space and other farmers asking questions and really getting into like the nitty-gritty details of whatever the focus for the day is. So um, because of the pandemic, obviously we were not getting out on farms large groups of people. And so we are trying to figure out, you know, how we're going to pivot this program that is, you know, based around being in person and being in out on farms and um, in the community, how we're going to pivot that into something that was engaging and fun and um, relevant because the time period of this is like, usually we start planning the uh, farm walk season in like springtime. And so, you know, as all of the pivots were happening, we were thinking of like, okay, we're going to go into like the planning got delayed for obvious reasons. And then it was before we knew it, we were going into summer. And so we wanted to create something that could be accessed while farmers were doing other things. Cause we were pretty acutely aware that zoom fatigue was becoming a very real thing that everyone was experiencing. And we also just knew that farmers didn't have it would be a challenge for farmers to take time out of the day to go sit and attend like a webinar or, you know, those sort of things. And I think we all have the best of of intentions when it comes like, Oh, I'll just watch that webinar recording later. And we know that doesn't really happen to the extent we tell ourselves it will. So we wanted something that could be, you know, accessed and like engaged with while doing other things. Um, And, didn't require looking at a screen. And so it seemed like the podcast way to go was an obvious pivot. Um, I think another thing that was really key was the Farm Walks coordinating team kind of had a lot of weird connections to like knowledge of audio and podcast production. So um, that certainly made it felt like once we made the decision, things started to fall into place. Um, but that was kind of the main reason of why uh, we wanted to go the podcast route. Um, and then it was all about thinking how to maintain that farmer to farmer element, um, because it is such an important part of the program and really core to the identity of the program. So um, what we landed on was to have 
um, a form on our website um, to invite listeners and farmers to submit questions ahead of time. So we did our best to um, populate the website with information about upcoming interviews and who we're going to be talking to and what the focus of that interview is going to be, and then encourage listeners to go to the website and submit their questions similarly to how they would uh, if we were on the farm. So that was kind of, that's a little recap of the FarmWalks podcast program and kind of how we got started with this pivot. Well, congratulations on launching the podcast. I know that it's not an easy task to get off the ground. Uh, so congratulations with doing that. And yeah, I think that um, it was so smart of you guys to do the podcast platform just because yeah, your audience is out in the field and don't necessarily want to be stuck behind a screen, like you said. So um, yeah, it's just been fabulous to see you guys get this off the ground. So how many episodes are, have you produced so far? Yeah, um, so we have produced seven episodes for, and that is going to be season one in its entirety. So it's kind nice. of funny that these this first season or this, these first seven episodes are really like the 2020 farm walk season. Um, but of course, because of just the sheer number of things you have to figure out when you launch a podcast, we released these episodes in January instead of last summer. So um, yeah, that's just kind of the way that worked. Um, and so we have seven episodes that are all out now. Um, you can listen anywhere you listen to podcasts or on our website, farmwalks.org. And there is potential for a bonus episode to be released in the next couple of weeks, but that'll be a surprise. Awesome. Um, so who are some of your partners and how have they contributed to the podcast? Yeah. So WSU food systems program is obviously our main collaborator. Um, so the, the farm walks program is really, it is tilt Alliance and WC food systems program co-running uh, the program and the podcast. And beyond WSU uh, Food Systems Program, we work with a lot of other partners within WSU. So uh, we've worked with different extension uh, specialists, specifically WSU Skag Extension. We had Kate Smith and Marley Fernandez-Silva uh, co-host an episode three, which we did in Spanish. Um, but then a lot of our other partners include different WSDA departments, so WSDA Produce Safety Program, WSDA Regional Markets, WSDA Organic Program, um, have been really great partners throughout the uh, podcast. And then some other partners we have are the Mentor Conservancy, WA Meetup, the USDA Rural Development Grant Program, the National Farmers Union's Local Food Safety Collaborative has been a real great funder for helping us get this project off the ground. Um, am I missing any? The Queen Anne Farmers Market and the Washington State Farmers Market Association. Uh, we had a chance to interview the folks at Harvey, the online e-commerce and distribution platform. And who am I forgetting? USDA Agricultural Marketing Service. And then this last week, we um, were, were able to interview a extension specialist from the University of Vermont Extension Ag Engineering. So a lot of different partners from a lot of different parts of the country. Um, so that's been another really exciting thing about the podcast is how the reach has really expanded beyond even just our, our state's borders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, so seven episodes in. Um, so can you share with us just um, some of the guests that you have interviewed and maybe give us a sneak peek of who you're planning to interview in the future? Yeah. So our season one guests uh, are all outlined on our website at farmwalks.org. And so their folks will find a bio of the farmer, description of the episode, show notes, a link to the app. To the episode where you can listen. Um, but we had the opportunity to interview Casey Smith from BCS Livestock, Heidi and Mike Peroni from Boistvert Valley Farm, Pablo Silva from Silva Family Farm, Emily Zun from Local Color Farm and Fiber, Emily Asmus from Welcome Table Farm, Bill Thorne from Sky Island Farm, 
Ryan Lichtenegger from Steel Wheel Farm. And then we have this bonus episode coming up, um, hopefully in a couple of weeks, which I won't reveal yet. It'll be a surprise. <laughs> All right. We won't give anything away. <laughs> and then for season two, which will be co- coming out later this year, probably more uh, late spring, early summer. Um, we don't have, we're just in initial conversations with some different funders. So we haven't nailed down any, um, I have no name, I have no farm names to reveal today. Um, but it'll be when, when we do have, as we do have things confirmed, they'll be up on the website because then we'll, uh, direct folks to, um, check out who we're going to be interviewing and submit questions based on, you know, I think a lot of farms follow each other on social media. So based on, you know, who you, who you see and who you want to ask questions of, folks can go to our website. We'll be sure to keep that updated. And you guys also have um, a e-newsletter that comes out too that people can subscribe to to stay up to date with um, episodes that come out, correct? And they can find that yeah. on your website? Yeah, both Tilt Alliance and WSU Food Systems Program have newsletters. It's great for folks to subscribe to both. Um, for Tilt Alliance, you can subscribe on our website, on the Tilt Alliance website at tiltalliance.org. Um, and then you can find the WSU Food Systems newsletter at WSU, oh gosh, I don't know their domain. Uh, you can link to in the show notes and I can send it over. Okay. Yeah. We'll definitely get those um, up on our Rocks to Roots Facebook page to link those. Um, so is there like a reoccurring subject theme for these episodes or are subjects determined by the farm um, that's doing the interview? Yeah, that's a great question. So the podcast itself is definitely a long form conversation style podcast. Um, so each episode we start with the farmer inter- introducing themselves and sharing a bit about, you know, their operation specifically, uh, how they came to farming, uh, and then just kind of sharing about their farming story in general. It's That's probably been one of the funnest parts about this whole experience is just understanding all the different ways that uh, folks come to agriculture and farming. And so I think topics that for this first go around have really been dependent the main, the overarching, those like one to two themes have really been dependent on the funding source. Uh, so we have very specific funding that, you know, kind of dictates what like the main focus of the episode is on. Uh, but then because these are such long episodes and season one was really long episodes and, and they're more conversation style, it's really designed to get into kind of looking at the farms, uh, the farm more holistically. So it's like, we'll, we'll hit on a couple of topics, but then every throughout these conversations, there's just so much that comes out of them. So like, you know, we had a conversation where we were talking about, you know, food safety, best practices. And then we ended up talking about creative land access strategies. And I think that that's something that we really communicate to our funders is like, yes, we'll hit on these points because we want to, you have these objectives that you want to cover these pieces for educational purposes, but we're not going to constrain the conversation. We let each each farmer is going to show up and tell the story how they want to tell their story. Um, and they're going to end up sharing about what they're super passionate about. And we really want to encourage that and bring that to the conversation. Yeah, that's great. So can farmers or producers reach out to you if they're interested in speaking on the podcast? Yeah, definitely. We've been super excited to see uh, folks reaching out to us on social media and saying like, I'd love to be interviewed. I'd love to be on the podcast or recommending um, other folks that they think would be great to have on the podcast. Um, and we're definitely still in the planning phase for season two. Uh, so we're definitely going to be looking for, uh, definitely, this is a good time to reach out, I guess is what I'm saying, um, because there's a lot of time and we've had a lot of interest on the funding aspect of um, folks really wanting to fund a lot of episodes. So I think season two will will be big and <laughs> you might just be producing the podcast every till the end of time (laughs) hopefully well that brings me to my next question so do you think that um you know in-person farm walks will be coming back is there gonna is it gonna be a hybrid of the podcast and in person um any ideas about that 
Yeah, it's a great question. And I think this is something that everybody who does in-person educational events and has had a good pivot is going to be looking to figure out. Um, I think that we've been super excited with the podcast because number one, it's a lot more accessible because people don't have to take time out of their day to travel to a place. They don't have to travel at all. Um, And so that's been, we've been able to reach a lot more people than we would say if you're having an in-person event. So I think that's been pretty cool Um, and something we don't want to lose. I think also the amount of work that took to get the podcast up and running, it feels like I feel like that was so much work that we definitely want to continue. Um, It's also been a blast too. I think being able to sit down with farmers and also all the resource provider interviews that we've done have just been so much fun because you're basically just talking to people about the work that they do and why they do it and why they love it. And it's pretty incredible. And you just see people light up in a way that I think and have conversations that we are definitely all in need of right now. Um, some, some joy. So to answer that, I can't say with any sort of definitiveness what the future will look like, but I think what we've talked about as a team internally um, is that we really want to continue with the podcast. And I think moving forward, we will have in person. We look forward to having in-person farm walks again um, because there's, like you just can't really replace that um, being, you know, out interacting with people in real life. Um, but I think that it will probably be some sort of hybrid model doing both the podcast and some farm walks and the exact number of each. I do not know, um, but I think we're, lo- we're looking forward to having having both for sure. Awesome. Um, yeah, well, congratulations again. What a great and innovative way to stay connected with your listeners and your audience. Um, so is there anything you would like to tell your listeners? Yes, this is going to be me making an ask for folks <laughs> to please, please go to our website and fill out one of the evaluation forms after you listen to an episode those evaluation forms are like if farmer to farmer is the like tagline or like the farmer to farmer education is like the core tenant of the farm program. I feel like the evaluation aspect is the unofficial tenant because, you know, a 17 year old program, we're able to, we've been able to run it this long because we've gotten really good evaluation data to show the impact of the program, uh, which funders need. Uh, they need to show that those, those dollars are, being invested in a way that's actually contributing to, you know, increase in knowledge and increase in um, education. So please, please, if you've been listening to the podcast and have enjoyed or learned something or, you know, even if you don't like it, you know, please fill out an evaluation form so we can make it better. If you didn't like it or just communicate back to our funders that it's making a difference. Um, I would say that that's been a thing, a real challenge of, the virtual pivots is that you don't get as much feedback um, as you would in in-person event. So please help us out. Let us know what you think. And also rating, review, and reviewing and subscribing uh, definitely helps as well, just to help get the traction out and, and just to see what people are thinking um, and if it's making a difference. Because there's a lot of work that's going into these, these episodes. So we want to make sure that it's meeting people's needs. A lot of time and energy goes into these podcasts. There's no way this can be a one, one man show. What is, what does the podcast team look like? Yeah, I definitely do not do this all by myself. So I am just one of a pretty large team of folks that work on the podcast. So um, I work as kind of the pretty, as a producer role and I, I share that producer role with my colleague, Terry Rackison, uh, who also works with me at Tilt. And then we have our fantastic, amazing, can't say enough because she was thrown into this role and she's been crushing it. Podcast host, Nicole Witham, who works for WSU. Um, Nicole has so many connections in Washington State agriculture and has so much farming experience and is just so good at talking to people and um Talking in general, because to have a podcast, you have to be really good at talking. So um, she's fantastic. We have kind of by fate, we're connected with our uh, audio engineer, 
Aaron Mason, who really makes us all sound good and is so talented and we would not have been able to do any of this without him. Um, our friend and colleague, Ava Kaiser, known as Abacus, uh, was able to lend us her beautiful original song, Soiled Mississippi, which we've been able to use as our theme song for the podcast and has set the perfect vibe. Um, as I mentioned earlier, maybe I didn't mention earlier, um, the Farmox program was founded by Dr. Marcy Ostrom, so she's still involved in the program as well. And then we've also been able to work with Kate Smith and Marlou Fernandez-Silva um, as some of our guest hosts on the season, specifically for the Spanish episode. So it's definitely quite a group of people that work together to make this thing all come together. And uh, we would not be able to do any of it without any one of these people. That's great. Teamwork okay. makes the dream work. <laughs> yes, feedback, reviews, all of that is very important for this platform. Um, well, great job, Erin. Keep up the great work. Um, and so I wanted to go ahead and just circle back. Um, I said I would to back to Tilt Alliance um, as a whole organization. Obviously, great programs, great resources. You guys just are pumping out tons of great things for farmers and consumers and things like that. So um, I want you to have a chance to talk about some of the specific resources and the specific programs that Tilt Alliance has to offer. Um, I know you got that great farm program. Sure, are you taking No, Erin, I thought you might lead off with the farm program. Oh, okay, cool. Well, so for farm programs, we have a lot of different things. Um, so we've talked about the Farm Mox podcast and Eat Local First. We also offer the Washington State Organic and Sustainable Farming Fund, which is a grant program that's available to any Washington State farmer. Um, we have an application cycle once a year. So this year it closed in February. So that's too late for that this time around. But it's a really great program uh, to fund projects that help enhance the sustainability of farm businesses. So all that information can be found on the Tilth Alliance website. Just click on the Farmer Resources tab. Um, and there's a lot more information that we update, you know, ahead of the next review cycle um, or the next grant cycle. And I think the best way to stay up to date on that information is to uh, subscribe to our, our farmer newsletter, which we talked about earlier. Because um, then you'll know when the application's coming out, who to contact with all your questions. Um, yeah, so that's a really great program. And then the Tilt Conference, I think we talked about a little bit, um, but it's a annual event that this past year we held virtually, which was an experience for sure. I think it went about as well as one could hope for in a virtual event. And 2021, we're hoping we'll be able to be in person, but of course everything is uncertain at this point in time. Um, but the Jilt Conference, basically it's an annual gathering of farmers from all across the state uh, to come together, usually at the end of the season and celebrate, learn from one another and uh, just kind of find some community after many months of spending a lot of time alone um, while working. <laughs> and I'm trying to think. Uh, we also, this year, Tilt Alliance, with a number of other partners, has launched the Coalition for Organic and Regenerative Agriculture, which we're referring to as CORA. And so it's going to be, it is an advocacy program. Uh, so we have a provisional steering committee that is meeting very frequently at this point in time to launch that coalition. Um, so folks can definitely, again, promote in that newsletter to stay in touch about what CORE is up to. Um, and then there'll be membership that's opened up to uh, farm farmers, individuals, and uh, different organizations probably later this year, maybe early next year. So that's going to be really exciting to have that advocacy body. Um, what am I missing, Cheryl? I think you've got everything, Erin. Uh, that's all our I'll, farm programs. That's all our farm programs. How to sign up well, for? I I did forget I did forget FarmLink. So we do have the Washington FarmLink program as well, which is a 
land linking service to connect land owners with land seekers. Um, and so that also has its own website. I think it's just farmlink.org. Um, but all of these different websites are linked on our main Tilt Alliance website. So if folks go to tiltalliance.org and select on the farmer resources tab, they should be able to find everything we've mentioned, including how to sign up for the newsletter, um, which is a great resource. So that's the farm program. Cheryl, do you want to take on? Yeah, um, I think... Yeah, so I think Erin just kind of left it at a really great place because even though we do have, you know, our programs for the most part um, that are not related to the farm program are really centered in, you know, Seattle and King County and a lot of Southeast King County, there are still some, there are still some program offerings that we have which are really um, are available to folks statewide. And Erin and I both want to just let um, let folks know that we are in the process of building a new website for Tilt Alliance. We're really excited. So just know that um, this is going to be looking very differently um, later on this year. So we're pretty excited about that. So I think one place to go is uh, classes for adults. You know, sort of that community education is where we really did our pivot last year. So we're offering classes remotely via Zoom. We do have um, some in-person learning experiences with small groups. But uh, I think TILT has always done a really great job, on, you know, um, online on classes like uh, veggie gardening basics, container gardening, companion planting, um, things like that. I, one thing that's really interesting is that, um, you know, before we became TILT Alliance, and, you know, the merger of the three organizations, it, there was Seattle TILF. And, you know, many years ago when these, you know, these classes were first being offered, there's a number of farmers who really got their start kind of taking these classes in, uh, in at Seattle TILF. So that's always pretty interesting. And so um, we also have... Um, you know, classes around food preservation and cooking and permaculture and urban livestock. So I think that's something that just kind of cuts across east, west and county lines right there. And there's a sliding scale pricing structure to make the classes accessible for everyone and um, in solidarity with food justice and food sovereignty for um, uh Black, Indigenous, and people of color, we always reserve a few spaces in each class for BIPOC community members free of charge. So all that information is um, is on our website under classes for adults. There's also a section called COVID-19 resources. That's pretty interesting. It's gardening resources, family and youth gardening resources, even things like here's a garden discovery guide, you know, for, for kids or a garden scavenger hunt. Um, for senior resources, there's a multicultural senior meal pantry uh, cookbook. So there are ways that the programs that we do, whether it's cooking, whether it's gardening, whether it's community development, it's, it's programs for kids, um, there are still ways that that is accessible wherever you are in the state. And we also have an online store. Um, and we also have the Garden Hotline, which is a pretty amazing, um, it's a program that is managed by Tilt Alliance. And so it's, um, it's actually a program that is um, uh, managed through Tilt Alliance, but sponsored by Seattle Public Utilities and um, Hazardous Waste Management in King County. But they, while most of their, information is more for a maritime climate. There's still a lot of, uh, they have their own website that you can take a look at and just kind of get all kinds of information about seasonal tips and safe, effective pest and weed control, and natural lawn care practices and plant selection. Uh, and they actually have people from around the state and uh, sometimes the country who contact them. Awesome. Well, wow, ladies. Um, I'm so, so glad that we got to sit down and talk today on this podcast about all of, um, I mean, tons of great information and education. And the list goes on and on and on available um, through Tilt Alliance uh, with the Eat Local First, with the Farm Walks podcast and with the farm program. Um, we will make sure to post all of the links to um, all of these different uh, projects and programs 
on our Rocks to Roots podcast Facebook page for everyone to see. So um, we're winding down to the end of our interview. And at the end, we always like to do a little bit of a spitfire round where I just get to ask you some random fun questions about yourself so that the audience can get to know you a little bit better. Are you both um, up for it? Yes. Sounds good. All right. And we'll just kind of popcorn. Whoever answers first, just go for it. Um, All right. What is a food you can't live without? Italian food. Oh, yum. Yes. Erin, did you say popcorn? Yeah, popcorn. (laughs) I just had some for lunch. I love that Smart Pop popcorn from Costco. (laughs) (laughs) Can't get enough of it. Um, What is your favorite plant or flower? Lilac. Mm, I'm with Erin. I love lilacs. Nice. We need to come on over here. We're the lilac city. He'll... That's right. <laughs> Tons are going over here. <laughs> We're ready for a road trip. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, what's your favorite candy? Chocolate. Anything chocolate. Reese's peanut butter cups. Mm-hmm. I, I'm normally a chocolate person, but to me, candy is like not chocolate. Like chocolate is its own category and candy is, is candy and sugary. Um, I think Swedish fish. I had Swedish fish recently. Mm-hmm. Good answer. Love those too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, licorice is up Mary there and you too. and I can go to a movie together. Yeah, because it's Swedish fish and popcorn. We'll share the snacks. <laughs> Um, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Hmm. I think I I'm know. always torn between flying, being invisible, or breathing underwater. Hmm. Yeah, I'm with Aaron on the being torn. You know, that's why there was silence after that question. Flying is one <laughs> that always comes up for me. Uh, and, uh, I think it would be to, uh, like change superpower would be to, um, I don't know, like to just somehow make things better when they're hard for people. Like if something terrible happens and just go, no, we're just going to, we're just going to do a do over. I know that's maybe not a superpower, but just a superpower for world peace or something like that. Love it. All right. And last one for both of you. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live and why? Hmm. I'm kind of a Washington state kind of person. I mean, there's just, there's just so much here. There's like any kind of landscape that you could possibly want, you know, and then maybe I'd be a little torn though, because I think Italy comes up and then, uh, maybe, uh, you know, someplace warm and sunny like Mexico. Nice. Then you can get your Italian food all the time, Cheryl. (laughs) Pretty much. I think I'm pretty happy living where I live. The one thing I would say is that I wish we had orange trees. Mm. Oranges grew here. I think if oranges grew in Seattle, I, I went to school in California and we had an orange tree in my yard the house I lived in. And if I had an orange tree in my yard here, I think that I would need anything else. Hmm. You might have to come see me in Italy, Erin. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you again, ladies, for being here. And for our listeners, we will make sure and list all of these resources on our Rocks to Roots podcast Facebook page. Um, but a few links just to get in your browser. We got the eatlocalfirst.org. We have the farmwalks.org and also tiltalliance.org. So make sure that you check those out and check out all these great resources, the marketing tools, and all those educational classes um, available through Tilt Alliance. Thank you so much, ladies. Thank you so much, you, Hillary. Hillary. It's been fantastic.
Rocks to Roots is sponsored by the Office of Farmland Preservation. Office of Farmland Preservation is a program within the Washington State Conservation Commission that works to address the rapid loss of working farm and forest lands in our state. Together, the Washington State Conservation Commission and conservation districts provide voluntary, incentive-based programs that empower private landowners to implement conservation on their property. You can learn more about their programs and services by visiting their website, scc.wa.gov. Thank you.